I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. So the past few weeks, we have, uh, in the lectionary, it's had us in, in Genesis. And when I was looking for looking for what we would be um, dealing with with the sermons, um, I was excited because I saw we would be in the book of Exodus. And I thought, well, we did a bunch of stuff on Joseph. Uh, let's maybe stick around in the, books of, the book of Exodus for a little while. Because the book of Exodus, if you haven't read it, it's really great. And we're not going to go through the entire book um, verse by verse. But in the Sunday readings, we'll be dealing with some important stories in Exodus in the life of the people of Israel. And we're going to learn from their story as they are uh, oppressed, as they are delivered from oppression, only to fall back into rebellion before being restored right at the foot of the promised land. And the book of Exodus is so rich for us, brothers and sisters, because in its pages, we see a parallel of the Christian life. The church has seen Exodus about being so much more than just the story of the deliverance of the children of Israel. The book of Exodus is about the journey of God's people. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the defeat of the Egyptian gods by the true God of Israel. It's about the journey of the church. Uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa famously wrote the life of Moses. And he saw the whole story of Moses going up the mountain to meet God into God's presence as a picture of the journey of the human soul as it encounters God. Truly really powerful stuff. I highly recommend the life of Moses. And later on, it continues to have power to speak to its present day. Slaves in American history saw themselves in these stories as God liberated his people. And they believed that they too would one day be liberated from their own slavery. Exodus has so much to teach us. So we're going to be looking at some of these key stories in Exodus throughout the, that we have in the lectionary through the next uh, month or so. And so we'll just call the series Exodus. Easy peasy. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time um, like dealing with like the structure of Exodus. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time dealing with like theories of, of composition. Like sometimes preaching that can be really beneficial and really helpful. But I don't think for us on a Sunday morning that's going to be very helpful or beneficial. It's really cool to dig into the, all the different theories of, well, how did this book come together? Was it written before the exile or was it written after the exile? Was it written sometime before? Did Moses really write it or did Ezra write it? Who wrote it? We don't know. Right? So we're not going to spend too much time dealing with issues like that. We're just going to kind of get to the, the, the meat of the stories if we can. So we, we read Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is the story of, we all know, of, of Moses. And the story starts out at the very beginning here. Well, when Exodus first starts off, it just lists like the descendants of, of Joseph and Jacob and all that, and where they kind of settled and how many people were here and how many people were there. And then it starts off to something really ominous. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Who did not know Joseph. And at the very end of Genesis, we had the story of Joseph. And I preached through some of it in broad strokes 
particularly last week, right? Focusing on his reconciliation with his brothers. Joseph also gets to see his father, Jacob, again, and they get back together. They're, they're able to come together again and see one another. Jacob moves his whole family, his entire clan, down to Egypt, and he dies at a good old age. And something really, really cool happens in Genesis when Jacob meets Pharaoh. Jacob actually lays his hand on Pharaoh and blesses him, right? Like that, the, and we've been talking about blessing. We've kind of been coming back to that, right? Because we've been dealing with the story of Abraham and how God had blessed him and said, through you, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And before his own death, Joseph asks his family, don't let my remains stay here, but bring them with me whenever you come home. And this kind of leads me to speculate, right? I'll be honest with you. This is a speculation. Is this Joseph's rejection of maybe sort of the Egyptian method of, 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 of death, you know, mummification instead of preferring to decay? Maybe as an identifi- identification with his people? I don't know. It's fun to speculate about that, though. But he says, don't leave my remains here. Take me with you. Then we get into there is a new king who did not know Joseph. And this sounds odd to us, right? Because Joseph is so important in the biblical story. And Joseph's story and everything that he did would have been important to those people too. And we have to realize that there has to have been some significant time that has passed because we've seen Joseph's family has grown from this large wandering clan to this massive group of people. And so this new Pharaoh, ignorant of the past, I think that that's something to remember, ignorant of the past, where he came from, who his people were, and the history of his own people, ignoring it, comes up with a plan. Instead of being grateful for the people who continue to grow and who at this point haven't given any indication that they would rebel at all, whose very presence there contributes right to the good of Egypt. You could probably say that the people of God, the children of Israel, their presence in Egypt contributes to the overall good of the nation. But this Pharaoh, he gets scared and maybe jealous. And he decides we have to stifle their growth. We have to like put this, we have to cut this off at the source because they're going to get too strong And if something ever happens, one of our enemies invades, maybe they met, hey, those Assyrians, they're a lot better than these Egyptians. Let's hook up with them. So this Pharaoh does two things. Number one, he forces them into hard manual labor. And Exodus says they were afflicted with heavy burdens made to build stored cities and to work as slaves in the toughest jobs in the field and then also making mortar and brick. And if you do this on your own time, I'm not going to get into it, but if you want to... Look at how they did it back in the old days with Google, YouTube, or something like that. But making that mortar that they used to build stuff, very time-consuming. Very, very difficult. And then the second thing that Pharaoh does is he opens the world's first Planned Parenthood. Right? He tells the Hebrew midwives, all of the newborn Hebrew sons, kill them, but not the daughters. Right, so you have this evil policy, right, of backbreaking, soul-shattering slavery combined with the willful killing of children. Both of these things are great injustices to the Lord. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. But the midwives, they don't listen to Pharaoh, and they do not kill the boys. 
And when Pharaoh calls him out on it, they lie to him. They're like, well, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women because they're so vigorous. By the time we get there, the babies are already born. And, you know, well, the baby's already born. You know, he kind of said to kill them when they're born. But, I mean, they're already born by the time we get there. So, I mean, you know, we might as well let them live, I guess. Pharaoh then, he says to all the people, it says, to all the people. Throw the newborn boys of the Hebrew women into the Nile River. Into the Nile River, right? So it's interesting. At the very beginning of this story of Moses, before the child even born, we have not only this manual backbreaking labor, oppression, you also have the killing of the innocent. Fast forward in your mind. Where do we see this happen again? Maybe in the New Testament. What happens when the wise men come to find the Christ child? What does Herod say? Oh, tell me where he is so I can worship too. Okay. And then they don't. Because <laughs> they are warned by in a dream, don't go back. So what does Herod do? He has his soldiers come in and kill a bunch of children. And the Holy Family escape into Egypt. So, think about this too, right? Oftentimes, when we deal with this real difficult story, and we'll get to this, in, in Exodus, particularly around the killing of the firstborn, or the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. Remember during the plagues, if you've read Exodus or seen the Prince of Egypt, maybe, or Ridley Scott's terrible movie, Gods and Kings, you know, they, they have the plagues on Egypt. And we know the final plague and the worst plague is the death of the Egyptian firstborn. And you think to yourself, how could God allow something like and oftentimes we forget about this part of the story. How does this story begin? With the Egyptians saying, okay, we're going to kill all of these children. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind when we get to that part of the story of the death of the Egyptian firstborn. I'm not saying it's right, but it kind of helps to frame the whole narrative. But in spite of this, the Hebrew people, blessed by God, Continue to grow. And in the middle of all this, you have a focus shift to one couple who've had a baby boy, but they can't hide him any longer. In desperation, the baby's mother hatches a plant. She makes a little boat and puts the baby inside. And we, always, we have this in our imaginations, right? Like she puts him in the boat and sends him down the river. Like, I don't know, like in the movie Willow, when a Lord Danny gets put in by the nice, uh, the maid who escaped from the evil wizard, you know? Puts him and sends him down the river, and then he's found by the nice little, you know. No, it's not like that. She puts him in the boat, and she hides him kind of among the reeds there, waiting to see what would happen. And Pharaoh's daughter, as it happens, hears the baby crying. Because, let's face it, if you're a baby, that's what you do. And I can uh, witness to this, and so can Shante. That's exactly what happened to us this morning at about 4.30 with uh, a crying baby. Babies cry and draw attention to themselves. So Pharaoh's daughter hears it, sends her maids over there. They're like, hey, it's a little baby. And they see that it's a Hebrew child. And instead of throwing the baby in the Nile, what does she do? She keeps the baby. She keeps the baby. And not only that, in the providence of God, the baby's own biological mother is hired to nurse him. Think about it, right? So the daughter of the, of, of, of the guy who set in the policy, right? Let's start killing all these Hebrew children. 
takes the baby in under her protection. Like the Joseph story, we see God beginning to turn evil, the evil of Pharaoh, the evil done to his people. And he begins to transform that or to bring forth out of that something good. Idealized in the figure of Moses who's going to arise and save his people. And not only that, the book of Acts, the sermon of St. Stephen, he says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So he's preserved from the destruction and the home of the very person who ordered his destruction. He's educated and he becomes mighty in deed and in word, which is kind of funny because later on in the story, God appears to Moses and says, I want you to go back to your people and deliver them. And what does Moses say? I don't really know how to speak very well. I kind of get tongue-tied. God knows, right? Don't even bother to fight with God when he tells you to do something. He knows. He knows. So lots of cool things that we can learn that we, well, that we've, that we can learn from this, this story here. And there's a lot of similarities that we're going to see how all of this, not only we can see the church in our lives in Exodus, but we also see something of Christ and the figures uh, in Genesis like Joseph and the figures in Exodus um, like Moses. And to talk just for a minute, right, about Joseph for a second, right? So there's an ancient Christian commentator named Caesarius of Arles. And one of the things he noticed between Joseph and Jesus was when Joseph comes to the land, his people initially come in, but the people don't grow until he dies. And he's like, that's kind of parallel to the life of Christ. When Christ is around, he's got his 12 apostles and he's got people who follow them, but doesn't really grow until after he, he dies and is resurrected and ascended. And then also remember, like we talked about last week, right? The, they're brought to this land of safety, this land of provision. Even though things around them are going increasingly dark, God still preserves them and protects them. But then they kind of get stuck, right? They get enslaved. Let's talk a minute about, about slavery. Right, so slavery here in Exodus and Egypt this relates to human slavery to sin, captive to the evils of this world. The early Christian scholar named Origen, he notes, when we were also in Egypt, I mean in the errors of this world and in the darkness of ignorance, we then did the works of the devil in lusts and desires of the flesh. Right, so this being in darkness that we all as humans share is subject to death, and being disordered, right? So our, national, our natural inclination is to sin, is something that we need to be delivered out of, right? And so in the Exodus story, the deliverer, as we just saw, is born. A deliverer that shows us the deliverance for all people through Jesus Christ. Again, origin, the Lord had pity on our affliction and sent the word, the only begotten son to deliver us from ignorance of our error and to lead us to the light of divine law. Just as God in his perfect timing and providence brought Moses on the scene, God, quote, when the fullness of time had come, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's St. Paul from Galatians 4. Slaves in Egypt, pictures of 
human slavery in the here and now to sin and to death. Pharaoh, let's talk about Pharaoh a little bit. And Pharaoh, I think, we can, shows us a few different things. In his wonderful commentary on Exodus, Thomas Joseph White notes that Pharaoh is representative of the human person under the influence of excessive pride. And we all know, right, that pride is kind of a big deal. It's a dangerous sin. I think it's C.S. Lewis who's, who, who comments, well, pride is the worst of out of all the sins because, you know, pride is what made you know, the devil the devil. Pharaoh is the human person under the influence of excessive pride. And what do you do when you are prideful? You try to exalt yourself. And when you exalt yourself at the expense of somebody else, what do you tend to do? You tend to overlook them. You tend to minimize their weakness, or minimize anything that they've contributed, right? You try to minimize anything they've accomplished because you are trying to put yourself above them. Pride. Pharaoh did not know Joseph. He should have known, he should have remembered, given all the good that Joseph had done. But pride made him unable to see. And Pharaoh also represents, for our purposes, the powers of the world that are in opposition to God's people. And we see this power at work often. The early church saw it when the Romans began persecuting them. Nigerian Christians see it right now as they're routinely murdered by Islamic militants. The spiritual forces of evil will always use people like Pharaoh as a means to destroy. But God works against that destruction by preserving his people. And there's this interesting strain of escapism in American Christianity particularly, right? It's if we could just hold on, things are going to continue to get worse. And then at the last minute, we're all going to be raptured away out of the earth. And then everything just kind of go to hell. And then Jesus will then, you know... Come back and make everything right again. It's very pessimistic. It's very pessimistic. But that is the life. We, we are called to life in this world. right? If it was God's intention to, for us to be removed from the world, why, after we haven't been, been, been given the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation and being made right in the sight of God, why wouldn't God then, if his intention was to remove us, why wouldn't God then do that? Why wouldn't God say, all right, well, Ray, you're, you've been baptized, washed of your sins, well done, good, faithful servant, just zap you up, right? Why would God, like, if, if, you, if, you, if the point of the Christian life was to escape, then God would, I think, call us home. But the goal of the Christian life isn't to escape. We are called, as God's people, sometimes into the middle of the very places and the very people who will rise up against us. And we forget this. We forget this. And if the wider culture all around us, if the wider culture all around us doesn't take issue with us over something, maybe we're doing it wrong. If the wider culture around us talks bad about us, <laughs> puts us down, lies about us, actively opposes us, then yeah, maybe we're doing something right. But God doesn't call us to escape. God often places his people 
into situations where he will deliver them from that, but he hasn't there for a reason. Origen notes that Pharaoh is a type of person also that resists the work of God. The person that resists the work of God. And he uses this analogy of the sunlight, right? So the sun that brightens and illuminates can also harden, right? So the light of Christ that transforms our heart, the light of Christ that shone in us, that resulted in us embracing Jesus Christ. Even if we were just a baby and the minister poured water over our heads, Even then, the light of Christ illuminates. But that light can also harden. The prideful, right, like we just saw, but it will also harden the type of person that will resist the work of God. Pharaoh did not remember Joseph or his people's contribution. And as a result, much suffering results. But we need to remember in this story, in the midst of suffering, God raises up a deliverer. God raises up a redeemer. God places someone there who will eventually will be exiled, but who will return and lead his captive people out. Right? So out of the land of darkness, right? out of the land of slavery, out of the land of sin and the shadow of death, God, through Jesus Christ, is going to call his people to new life. To new life. So hopefully that whets your appetite a little bit for some of the things we'll be talking about and the way we'll be looking at the stories that we read in uh, the ongoing story of God's people in the book of Exodus. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting. And it's all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Landsman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malandsman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need. GoFundMe.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone.